Good morning. Everybody glad to be at church this morning? So we got a few, a uh, couple quick announcements we need to go through if you open your bulletins. A um, couple quick things. The book of Judges, chapter number three. You don't have to stand with me for the reading of the word today unless you want to stand through the entirety of the chapter. Um, but we are going to read the entirety of the chapter this morning. So see, I am going to preach for a while. Amen. So if, if it takes a long time to read the word, just imagine how long it takes to preach the word. Amen. I'm, I'm really teasing with you all this morning, but you guys can't tell. You just never can tell. Verse number one says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. And even many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonites. I'm sorry, in the city, or golly, Sidian. Sidonians, thank you, Sidonians and the Hivites that dwell in the Mount of Lebanon and from Berhalamon unto the entering of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the, land, by the hand of Moses. Verse number five says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons. Notice it says, and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rathamayim. We're just going to call it that. King of children of Israel uh, served King C in eight years. I, I had all these, I had this all like figured out last night, and, and I was just double checking these names as I went through. Just it's just not working out today, so we're just going to go with it anyway. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged uh, Israel. I'm sorry, verse number nine says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. I'm going to stop right there and pray over the word. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for liberty. We thank you for the men and women that paid the price for liberty this morning, God. Lord, we thank you for not only the, the men and women that paid the price for liberty uh, in the natural and in this great country in which we live, God. But we thank you for those who paid the, the price for the freedom and liberty that we have in you today. God, we, we thank you most importantly of all for your son's great sacrifice, God. That you so loved the world that you gave him, that he would die for our sins, God, and be resurrected on the third day. Lord, and that he is even now at your right hand making intercession for us. Lord, we thank you for the freedom and the liberty of that. We thank you for great men, great heroes of the faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 
and amen. I want to talk to you for just a few moments, and we're going to go through a couple more of these book of, uh, in, in chapter number three of Judges here as we go. But, uh, but I want to talk to you for a moment this morning about uh, uh, three unlikely heroes. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning about unlikely heroes. Amen? And so uh, to get us started this morning, of course, we're, we're here and it's about 4th of July or coming around to be 4th of July, and we're getting ready to celebrate our independence from, from England, amen, and, and we're getting ready to celebrate that. And how many of y'all know that in 1776, on July 4th, we, we, we signed a document uh, that caused us to be a free and independent nation, amen? But there was, there were there was a battle that ensued there was a war that ensued called the american revolution war and 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 we we had a a fight the freedom does not come without a price amen and so there was a fight and there were strategic men and 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 women that were that were key in making our independence become a reality amen and so this morning i i want to just talk to you for just a few moments about one one of our great national leaders that we have had. His name is George Washington. Does everybody know who George Washington is? George Washington was, was one of the heroes, probably the greatest hero of the American Revolution. It was a sneak attack that he made on at the Battle of Trenton that caused him uh, to, to, to turn the tides, if you will, on a, on a war that seemed like it wasn't going in the direction that everybody wanted it to go. Do y'all are y'all aware that in the American Revolution there were many instances where we could have lost our freedom. We could have lost that war. We we could have very. It was very uh, indecisive at times when it seemed like General Cornwallis was uh, was was getting the upper hand. Do y'all know the the history of it? There were times when when it didn't look like that we were going to become an independent and sovereign nation. But but because of men like George Washington who were leading troops and who were uh, uh, keeping people's morale up, he, he, he led a sneak attack one night, and it was Christmas night. And they thought, well, nobody will battle on Christmas night because, you know, uh, that goes against the rule book. And so he led a sneak attack against the troops of Cornwallis at the Battle of Trenton. And many people don't know this, but the Battle of Trenton actually took place on two different days. There's the first Battle of Trenton where he came in and 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 he he snuck in at night on Christmas night, and then the he 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 hurried up and hit and ran and then crossed the river again, and then he stopped and then he got on the other side and he said, "Hey, that was a good victory. I think I'm going to go back for some more." And so he turned around and went back across the river and he fought again. And so there's two battles of Trenton, and those were strategic battles that caused Washington to move the forces uh, uh, of our nation toward victory. And then he moved up and he won the battle at Yorktown and he won the battle at Princeton. And those are the things that caused us to be a free and independent na nation today. And so I'm thankful for men like George Washington, who was a true patriot to this country. I didn't come up to preach this morning about George Washington. I'm just setting the stage for something, okay? So you're getting a history lesson this morning. But George Washington was your natural-born hero type. He was born and bred into 
and, and sculpted and crafted, if you will, by his parents and by those around him to be a natural leader. He was, he was already a wealthy man before anything ever got going. He stood taller than the rest. How many of you all know about uh, Saul in the Bible? He stood head and shoulders above all of Israel. Uh, George Washington was much like that. He stood, he stood taller than most men. He, his presence demanded respect from people when he walked into the room. And he was a proven military leader in the French and Indian War. He had led many troops at that time. And so he was a proven leader. One, and he was a man of great authority. Many of you won't know this. And these are just little free nuggets of history. Most of you don't care anything about history. But I like history. So you're getting a lesson this morning. And so one of his greatest acts of authority that George Washington ever gave was his release of his authority. Do you understand that when a general is is general over a complete nation at after a war they do, they don't have to give up their authority they they he was fighting for this thing called freedom and independence but even the king of england thought that what they were doing was just trading one monarchy for another monarchy. They just he, he said, these people think that they're following this man who's going to give them freedom. But when George Washington, when this war is over, he's going to become the king of the Americas. But one of the greatest testaments of his authority was that as soon as the war was over, he walked into Congress and he relinquished through written form. He said, my duty as general over this nation is over, and so I'm relinquishing my authority. I have no more authority at all in this nation right now. And the king of England, because he heard that, King George III said, if he does that, he got wind that he was going to do that. And he said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. Because for a person to give up that kind of authority would be a great, hard thing to do. Amen? But he did that, and, and you know, uh, he was a great military man, and he was a great uh, a person of, of, of grandeur and respected uh, a respected person that stood tall above everyone else. And you see, all of those attributes were, were proved true when he won the Battle of Trenton and when he won the Battle at Yorktown and when he won the Battle of Princeton. You see, because of what he did, many others and you and I can celebrate the 4th of July. We celebrate independence not because it was free, not because it was easy, and, and you know, and we tease, and I'm just going to go ahead and pick on millennials from the pulpit this morning, but I, but we tease about the millennials a little bit because they, the, the mentality or the general consensus of you're a millennial in the house today, and I'm not even looking over to this side because, you know, they, if there's a millennial, they're sitting over here. So I'm going to look this way this morning. No, but if you're a millennial in the house, this is the perception of the world. I'm just going to say it. This, not the, this is the perception of the world that you're going to you're going to save the world from Starbucks and your yoga pants. But I love you. You're going to save the world from Starbucks, from your computer and your yoga pants. Amen. But that's that's the common conception, you know. If, 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 but the thing about freedom and the thing about our independence is that we couldn't just one day decide, "Hey, I think we're going to be a free country now." Thanks. See you later. Somebody had to pay the cost. 
somebody had to be the man or the woman to stand up and take the reins and say, I'm going to stand whether anybody stands with me or not. We're going to stand. And, and we've, all, we, we've all heard the history lesson. But it wasn't even a great consensus in America at the time. There were many people who did not want to have an American revolution. There were many people who did not want to go against England. And so it was a, it was a very a courageous and bold thing to stand up and say, I want my independence. I want my freedom. But not only do I want it, but I'm willing to fight for it. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to stand up. And, and, you, and, and, and I, I, you may not have watched this movie before, and I'm not condoning the movie. Matter of fact, I, I actually think it's rated R, but I watched it before I got saved. But I still like the movie, so, you know, just shame on me, I guess. But the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, and he says, he says something in there, and he, says, he said, Mark my words, this battle, this war will not be fought by just you, but, but it will be fought by your sons and your daughters. And that held true throughout the course of that movie about the American Revolution. That the, the war was not just fought by the men, but it was fought by their sons. And many times, many families lost every son. Many mothers lost all the sons that they had to the war. And, and if the army could stop it in any way, if there was one sibling left, they would send them home so that a mother would not be completely sonless and not have generations to go on. But it took something to fight for freedom. There were people that stood up and said, I will be a hero but you know what that that is in our united states that is what we celebrate in this fourth of july what we are doing and we, you've heard me talk about this and and i was even hesitant uh, uh are, 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 are thoughtful about preaching this this morning but what we're getting ready to celebrate on the fourth of july and it already started saturday night at my house there was fireworks going off all over the neighborhood last night and so eli and i got up on the roof of my house and we just started looking in all directions and i know he's 12 and i had him on the roof so he's mine though um and so anyway we got up on the roof and we were looking at, at, at the fireworks all around but what we are celebrating is a triumph over a victory Amen. Uh, I, I, this, isn't, this isn't the message this morning, but I get so excited when I think about thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. The word in the scripture. Thanks be unto God that always causes us to triumph. Because that word triumph is not a victory. It's not winning a battle. It's celebration over the winning of a battle that was already won. And I'm so thankful that more than George Washington's victory, there was a man named Christ who was born for you and I. And on Calvary he died. And when he said it is finished once and for all, a victory was won when he took when he took captivity captive and he stole the keys of death and hell from the enemy. He said once and for all, a final battle has been won. Just like we don't have to go over to England and refight every year the 4th of July battle for our independence. We don't go knocking on their door and say, can we fight again just to see who will win this time? We don't do that year after year, but we celebrate what has happened. I say the day that we celebrate every single day what Christ did 2,000 years ago at Calvary when he won a battle that will never have to be fought again. He was the hero of the faith, the hero of the faith. Amen. And George Washington was a hero of the Revolutionary War. But I'm telling you that you and I are to be called to be heroes of the faith as well today. 
You may, you may say, Brother Paul, not me. No, I'm just ordinary. I don't have it in me, young people. Millennials, listen, you have it in you. I'm going to preach over here now, and I do love you. But I'm, I'm telling you, you have it within you to be a hero of the faith in God today. You have what it takes to be a hero. Many of us, we think, oh, I don't have it. I, I'm not good at anything. I don't have talent. I can't sing like somebody else can sing, and I can't preach like other people can preach and I can't uh, play any instruments and uh, I'm not really good with people. I'm kind of introverted. I don't have any special characteristics that would cause me to be a hero. I don't stand two, two or three inches taller than everybody else like George Washington. I don't have a proven track record. You may be in the house today and you say my track record isn't very good. Matter of fact, when I get in the heat of battles, I wish somebody was with me this morning. Matter of fact, when I get in the heat of battles, I tend to run away from the situation. I don't care what your track record is. I don't care what you've been good for in the past. I just care that you get a hold of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and decide that you can be a hero today. You may just be an unlikely hero. You may just be an unlikely hero. You see, we started reading and we began, we, we read down to uh, the ninth verse and it says that the Lord raised up a deliverer and the Bible says right there, even Othniel. Now, I, I, I'm just going to use this in my context this morning. I didn't study this out. Why that word even, which is in the italicized in the King James Version, was put in there. But I, I, I want to I just use it to my advantage this morning and say, listen, if God wants to raise up a, a, a hero among his people, then he can even use Othniel. Every time I read that word right there, even, it's like, hey, if, if I don't talk, then he's going to make a donkey. He can even make a donkey talk. If I don't praise him, he can even make the rocks cry out in my place. But I looked down at Othniel, who was nobody too special. And he said, even uh, the Lord raised up a judge to reign over Israel, to judge over Israel. And it says his name, even Othniel. And then it goes on to talk about Othniel. And I want to just talk about him for just a minute. It says he was the son of Kenaz. Uh, we don't even know who Kenaz is. And Kenaz has even less importance than Othniel but he was the son of a nobody do you understand but he was the younger brother of a somebody he was the younger brother of Caleb and we all know the name Caleb and we all know that Caleb was a man of honor but how many of y'all would like to be the younger brother hiding in the shadows of a man like Caleb I don't know about you but I wouldn't want to be that person but the Bible says that he was the younger brother of a somebody and I think that's worse than just being a regular or oh nobody hiding in the shadows of what somebody else that's great can do you see, Othniel's life wasn't anything special. He was just hiding in the shadows of what his older brother Caleb was able to do. Caleb this, Caleb that, Caleb with all the favor, Caleb with all the character, Caleb with all the good looks, Caleb with all the friends. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Hiding in the shadows of somebody else. I'm telling you, God can take you straight out of the shadows of somebody who's great and mighty and make you the judge. Do you understand that Othniel was the very first judge of all? 
all of Israel. Let me, let me break it down a little bit further to you. This lineage of judges that Othniel started was God's divine plan for leadership over his people. It wasn't until after the book of Judges altogether that the people cried out to God and said, give us a king. We want to be like everybody else, so give us a king to rule over us. No, that wasn't how God intended it. He intended this thing to have judges over the people so that they could judge rightly in the eyes of God. And so God raised up this one man named Othniel who was hiding in the shadows of somebody that was not that, that, that was a big deal. And he said, I want you to be the very first judge of the judges in my divine order of business. Othniel had a privileged role. And I'm telling you this morning, you may be hiding in the shadows of somebody else. You may be, you might find yourself uh, what seems like you're paling in comparison to somebody else's ability. You may not have it exactly how they have it. You may have, you may be listening uh, to the enemy in your ear telling you that you can't sing as good as this one or that one, and you may feel like you're uh, just uh, shrunk down somewhere in the shadows. But I'm telling you, God raises up unlikely heroes everywhere, and He wants to raise you up this morning if we go down through the book of of Judges chapter number 3 you'll begin to read that the children of Israel they served under Othniel for just a little while and then after Othniel passed away they turned back to their sin and this is a recurring theme of Judges they do good while they've got a good judge and then when he dies they turn back to their sin and then God, God allows them to be turned over to their sin and then they cry out to God and then God sends somebody in to help and this is the recurring theme of the book of Judges. It sounds a lot like the world in which we live in today. We as the believers, are, we're, we're, we're happy to serve God uh, while we've got somebody getting good leadership over us or while we've got things going well. But as soon as things seem to be on a good rolling pace, Brother Dave, as soon as the church starts to build and we start to see things going in our favor and all of a sudden economically and socially and, and, and population-wise we're doing really well, then all of a sudden the churches begin to turn away from God. I can't tell you how many season, uh, how many ministries that I've looked at, and I'm not going to name any tonight or today, but I'm telling you I can't tell you how many that you look at where the, where the man or woman of God had the hand of God upon them, and they were praying for the sick and seeing them recover, and they were preaching as the oracles of God, and they were giving just giving the devil a black eye, but somewhere along the way things got good, and then they turned their ear away from the Lord and then started serving other masters and then you'll see the downfall of the ministry and then and, and you see that happen over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges so that happened in the chapter number 3 it happens 3 different times but the second judge that they raised up it says in verse number 15 but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord the Lord raised up a deliverer Ehud I'm not suggesting that you name any of your children after these judges. We're going to talk about Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. I don't know if you want to name your children that, but I suggest using it as a middle name if you're thinking about it. The Lord raised up Ehud, the son of of Jerah, a Benjaminite, a man, listen to this, a man left-handed. A man left-handed. Now, of all the things we know about Ehud in the Scripture, 
the reason I, I want that, that we're going to Judges chapter 3 today is to show you what God will do with ordinary people. It will show you what God will do with any of us if we will allow ourselves to become heroes in the faith. Because Ehud, the only thing that the scripture tells us is his dad, who's a nobody, we don't know anything about him. And we know this, he's left-handed. I mean, who, whoever was inspired by the Holy Spirit and began to write the book of Judges, they felt the only thing necessary to write about Ehud was that he was left-handed. He didn't even get, you know, whose younger brother he was. He didn't get, you know, uh, he, he didn't get any. He got, hey, this, this judge of Israel was left-handed. How many of y'all would like to go to the history books and say, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States, left-handed. Move on. He didn't get nothing. There was probably, listen, and, and, and in a physical and natural sense, there's probably very little that is great and mentionable about Ehud, and that's why the writer of the book didn't pin a lot of things down. And I'm not beating up on Ehud today. If you want to name your kid Ehud, you go ahead. But I'm telling you, the only thing the scripture tells us is that he was left-handed. But there was something powerful about that left-handedness that came in handy for him. Let's read on down the scripture. It says, but when Ehud made himself a dagger, which had two edges, and it's a cubit in length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. There's something important there. This is my dagger. It's not a cubit long. It's about a third of a cubit. But he had this dagger, and the dagger, much like any other dagger, would have the, uh, I don't know what it's called, the, the cross piece. Hilt. Say the hilt. The hilt. Okay. So it had the hilt on it, and he had this dagger, but he was left-handed, and so he put the dagger down inside his right side of his raiment so here it is over here and I'm not going to read the scripture all the way through but it, the Bible says that he went in and he was the deliverer of Israel and he went into the to the oppressor of the of the day and he came in bearing a gift and he brought the gift in and he had people bearing the gift and so it wasn't just him it was a people bearing the gift and they brought it to you're going to be the you're going to be the evil king with red boots. Can I can I have one of them boots? Can you take that boot off? Yeah. I, I want to enter this into evidence. Most of y'all won't get that joke. That's an inside joke. You got to keep his boot. Brother Dave, you get the joke. Sorry. I just use it's my own it's my own humor. I'm sorry. It's funner that you don't know what it's about. So so evil king, evil king right here, I come bearing a gift, and and so my, my gift bearers come, and we're not going to illustrate this. There's other, there's fake people in front of me, and, and they hand it to him, but you don't touch it, you're the king. He set it down here, and then, and then I, and then he goes to the king, and he says, he says, I have, I have a secret that I need to tell you, and so the king says, everybody get out, you know, because everybody. When, when you like drama, you you know, you tend to want to hear it. So he says, everybody get out. Dennis likes drama. So he says, everybody get out of the room. And so the, the guards, they pat down Ehud. 
But when you do the pat down to make sure you don't have weapons, everybody's mostly right-handed, so they just pat him down over here. You see? To see if he had any They didn't pat him down on his right side because nobody carries any weapons on the right side because everybody's right-handed, and they pull their sword out over here. So Ehud being the deliverer of Israel, he's left-handed, and that's why it's important that he's left-handed because he had his dagger over here, and he says, i got to tell you a secret. So the king gets everybody out of his chambers, and he says, all right, tell me the secret. He says, i got to tell it in your ear. And so he goes over to him, and he leans up to him, and he pulls the dagger out of his right side, the Bible says, and he jabs it into the, into the belly of the ruler. And, and I'm lost for his name right now, but uh, he jabs it into his belly. And the Bible says that it goes all the way, what was the part cost? The hilt. It goes all the way past the hilt into this, into this ruler's belly. The Bible says that he was a fat man. Um, that's what my translation said is fat. I, did, I chose at random. <laughs> I chose at random. You were the closest victim. And so he jabs this, this dagger in, and it goes in past the hilt, and it gets stuck there. And, and so when he does, he, he leaves, and he's, he flees out, and everybody's locked out, and they leave him there. And he winds up dying before any of his servants ever get to him. And God raises up Ehud in the, in, 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 as a man who was just left-handed, because that's strategically exactly what God needed to perform what he needed to perform in the hour in which they were in. What does that mean to us today? It means two things. One is this. What do you possess that is, listen, God has created you fearfully and wonderfully. And there are characteristics in you that don't survive or don't, they're, they're not realized in any other person that is in this room today. There's things about you that, that are, you are, you are individual, you are a, a single character, and there is nobody else like you. We talk about it all the time. Brother, there's no better brother Tim Armstrong than the brother Tim Armstrong that we have in this church. Amen. There's no, there, there's, there's no brother, bro, brother Tim back there either. There's no brother, there's, there's no brother, better brother Amy, or sister Amy back there beside brother Tim. And, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's, it is. I, I know his name. I, I know his name. I've been calling by the wrong name on purpose ever since I messed up on accident the first time. So, but thank you. Um, there's no, but there's no better you than you. And I'm telling you that God has built character into you that is not in anybody else. Just stay with me. I'm sorry. I got to quit cutting up so much. But only a left-handed person could do what Ehud done on that day. Do you understand that? Only a left-handed person could do that. And so he knew, but he didn't just pick any old random left-handed person. You got to understand that he didn't win just because he was left-handed. It took more than just being left-handed to do what God had called him to do. Yes, he was left-handed, but he was also full of courage. He was also a man full of zeal for God. Because I'm telling you, just because I'm, I'm right-handed doesn't mean if you need somebody that's right-handed to go jump off a bridge that I'm going to 
volunteer today. Uh, does it, uh, only a right-handed person can do I'm not going to do that. I'm telling you, he was a man of courage that heard from the Lord. There was more to Ehud than the fact that he was left-handed. It was just simply mentioned that he was left-handed. And God used his left-handedness to bring about what he wanted to be done in that day. And God wants to use something that's inside of you to bring about what only you can do for the kingdom of God in this day in which we live. There are many of us today that feel like we don't have much to give, that we don't have many abilities. But but Ehud's ability was that he was left-handed, and that was really all it was. But God used what was small and minor. God used the weak to confound the wise. He said, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And he said, I'm going to use what you think is not much in your life, and I'm going to use it in the right season, in the right place, at the right time to perform something that's so miraculous that it's going to bring you to the forefront of your ministry. You see his zeal for God and willingness to do it. I've got this question for you too. Uh, uh, He used a dagger that he made with the items around him. So I want to ask you this morning, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What are you using for the kingdom of God? Maybe the reason that you can't be like Ehud isn't that you don't have ability because God's not interested in your abilities. But he's interested in what you've got in your hand and if you're going to use it for him or not. You go on down the list to the to the end of the chapter and you'll begin to read and it says, listen, in verse, this guy gets one verse. Verse number 31 says, After him was Shamgar the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat. And he was also a deliverer of Israel. One verse goes to Shamgar. The unlikeliest of heroes was Shamgar. Why? Because Shamgar was a simple farmer. Shamgar was a guy minding his own business. It it talks about him killing 600 Philistines, but do you know he didn't want to do it? He didn't do it. He didn't do it out of uh, out of desire or zeal to do it. He did it because he was a simple farmer who had had enough. Enough is enough of the enemy's attack on my family. Enough is enough of the enemy's attack on my livestock. Enough is enough of the enemy's attack on my livelihood, on my finances, on everything around me, on my spiritual life. Enough is enough of the enemy's attack on my health. Enough is enough. Do you hear where I'm going this morning? Shamgar said, enough is enough. I'm not going to take any more. And so he picked up the tool that he worked with. What is an ox goad? We all would know it today by the word cattle prod. Does everybody know what a cattle prod is? An ox goad was simply a stick with a pointy thing on the end of it. And he used it to, you you prodded at the oxen to get them to plow the fields faster and better and get them to go where you wanted them to go. And so the Bible says that he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, with just a little stick with a pointy end on it. But how did he do that? Lest God raise up inside of him and make him powerful in his season. I'm telling you, God will work for you if you'll just... Just get sick and tired of what the enemy is trying to do in your life. All that happened was Shamgar. Shamgar wasn't meant to be some great and mighty thing. He was just a farmer living his life. But he got tired of what was going on. He got tired of the attacks of the enemy. He got tired of of the onslaught on his livestock. 
He got tired of them coming against his family, and he began to take a stand and move forward. So my question to you is when will you get tired of what the enemy is doing in your life and become an unlikely hero of the faith? An unlikely hero of the faith. This morning, we have talked about three men with some of the three greatest names. You ought to name your children, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. The book, of, the book of Judges chapter 3 lays out all three of them. Two out of the three don't get much talking at all. Ehud's left-handed. There's not much to say about them. There's not much that was mentioned about them. It tells me they were pretty ordinary. And many of us in this room today, if we would just admit it to ourselves, and, and I'm sure you have many times, but I'm just me. I'm just, I'm just ordinary. There are times I pray to God and I say, God, you keep telling me that I have a vision for this church. You keep giving me a vision that's way bigger than I am, God. But I'm just me. I'm just Paul. I, I just fumble over words and tell jokes and then when I ought not to probably. And I, I just do this and I just do that. And there's all these shortcomings. And, and God, I don't have it all together. And, and God, I, 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 I sometimes am bad in this area of my life. And, and sometimes I'm not a well put together and organized God. And how are you going to build all these great things out of me? And he said, Paul, I'm just going to use unlikely heroes. And the men who stand head and shoulders above the rest end up like so and they, they, they end up going their own way anyway. I need somebody who's going to say, I'm unlikely God. But if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Stand to your feet with me this morning. If you can use anything, God, you can use me. God, I'm not anything too special, but I understand based on Judges chapter 3 that there's not requirements, there is not a set parameter. You see, the world would have you think that you have to be a certain build or you have to be a certain athletic ability or you have to be a certain height. Do you all know that, that you can't be, uh, you can't be a, a, a pilot in the, in the uh, Air Force without being a certain height? You have to be specific because of the cockpits and the things like that. And you have to have a certain IQ to be able to do that. And you have to pass all these different tests to be able to do that. And listen, there's a test for everything. Even in the ministry, we want to make you take tests. And, and I, listen, I'm not, I'm not against studying to show yourself approved. But the, the society in which we live in will put parameters upon what you can do based on what you fit into. And if you're not able to pass this test or pass that test or physically be this size or are able to sing like this, are able to play like this, are able to dance like this, or be athletic enough to do this, or, or whatever the requirements are, then you can't fit the bill. But God said, I don't have any requirements on you this morning. I have made you the way that you are, and I have greatness inside of each and every one of you. Sarah, there's greatness inside of you. I'm glad that I met you this morning. God has a mighty plan for your life. God has greatness in there. Regardless of what anybody else tells you, regardless of what regardless of what you can do and what you can't do. It doesn't matter if you can sing with the with the best singers in the world or dance with the greatest dancers. It doesn't matter if you're tall or are short, big or small. It doesn't matter because God's got greatness inside of you. Amen. Amen. God's got
got greatness in each and every one of us. Every one of us. If he can take Ehud, who was just left-handed, but he said, I'm, I'm going to use my left-handedness for God. Who would have thought left-handedness would be a gift? Who would have thought your dexterity would be a gift? But it is. My wife's saying amen. She's left-handed. Amen to all the left-handed folks. God, God will use the simplest of things. God will use the simplest of things and confound the wise. And he wants to use it in each and every one of us today. We're celebrating in a couple days Independence Day. When we celebrate Independence Day, we celebrate great men and women who served in our armed forces. Who, people like George Washington and other great generals. But more, e even more than that, Brother Let's folks like you who battled. Who battled. Gunner. Gunner. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Served in our armed forces to pay for this liberty that you and I have. Heroes. Heroes. Many of us don't even recognize it, but every Sunday we get a hero that walks through the door. Heroes of the faith. If you served in our, in our military, I don't want to leave you out. I want you to just raise your hand right now. If you served in our military. Amen. Amen. Just... Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Heroes. They're walking in. Because we are getting ready to celebrate in two days the triumph of our independence. And anything that comes against that, there's men and women who stand up and they're heroes. But God's kingdom is bigger than the United States. And God's kingdom is bigger than any country or any cause. It's the cause of Christ. I'm reminded of Paul thinking about Independence Day when he, was, when he was pleading his case before the king. And he said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He, he said, you and I, he said, I would that you would be just like me, save me being in these bonds. He was saying, I'm more free than you could ever be. Even though I'm in these chains, I'm more free than you could ever be. You're bound by things that you know not of. We need heroes of the faith. We need, we need patriots of the cross. Patriots of Jesus. I'm thankful for the men and women that have fought for our country. But I'm, but I'm also thankful for men and women who have lived and died sticking a banner for Jesus Christ in the ground and saying, I don't know about anywhere else, but this is God's ground. And you are a hero, mom or dad, if you take a banner of Jesus Christ or you're a plaque and you put it on the wall and you quote Joshua and you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and this house, I don't care what society is doing. I'm stabbing a banner in the ground. I'm planting my flag and saying that this land is God's land. This is God's house. I'm claiming it and proclaiming it to be his. Heroes of the faith. God wants to use your little to do much. Each and every one of us. God wants to use our little, our inadequacies. 
No doubt Ehud's left handedness was probably inadequacy. As he was growing up with 90% of people right handed, he was the left handed one in the bunch, and everything was geared toward the right handed person. And so he couldn't do the things the way, he couldn't do all the things in society. You see, now we live in modern society where things are built uh, for. Or both both ways and so you can be left you, you know they got the left-handed way and then they got the right-handed way and and you can shoot pull left-handed or right-handed or you can buy the left-handed golf club or you can buy the right-handed golf club but back in the day they didn't have all that so when Ehud was growing up no doubt he had to be uh, probably the last in line for everything he was the last one picked for everything he didn't have by society's standards the ability to do what everybody else had to do but God used his inability and his left-handedness to create greatness. And he wants to create it in you and I this morning.